with that, I would just like to start off with prayer before we get into today's message. Father, we thank you that we can come together this morning. Um, Lord, all, although it is virtually, um, Lord, it's a privilege to know that we are not alone and to know that you are with us. Um, Lord, also um, that we have this glorious message, um, this message of Jesus um, that allows sinners to come and be saved, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for saving us. Um, what an absolute, absolute grace that is, that we can be saved. Something we do not deserve, Lord, and we praise you for that. We thank you for that. Lord, this, um, the topic that we will be addressing today, Lord, is, is one that can be quite controversial, Lord. And there's a lot to say about it. There's a lot to, to bunny trail off into, Father. But I pray that um, you would please um, be with us, Lord. Help me to think clearly, Lord. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will be with me and with all of us, Lord that it will guide us into all truth and um, that we may know you better and serve you better for that um, which we learn today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the exclusivity of Jesus. That is what we'll be dealing with today. Um, I read a, a quote by William Temple, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, I do not know him, but this quote is very true. It says that the gospel is true always and everywhere, or it is not a gospel at all, or true at all. The gospel is true always and everywhere, or it is not a gospel at all, or true at all. The gospel is as true and relevant today as it was in first century Christianity. The gospel is as true in South Africa as it is in Russia, in America, in Egypt. If it were not true everywhere, then it's not true at all. If the gospel were not true always and everywhere, it can be, it can't be absolutely, absolutely true. For example, think of anything you hold to be absolute truth. For example, people need oxygen to breathe. That is true here in my office, in your home, in Egypt, in America. It is true everywhere. Or the concept of 2 plus 2 equals 4. 2 plus 2 is 4. Regardless of whether where you find yourself geographically, irrespective of which culture or group you associate with. Truth is truth. And the same is true of the gospel. If it is true, it needs to be true always, and it needs to be true everywhere. Otherwise, it is not true at all. However, we live in a time where the world is pushing for unity. The world is pushing for acceptance and for, can I say, inclusivity. And anyone who teaches an exclusive way, like the gospel, the gospel is exclusive. So anyone who teaches an exclusive way is labeled a bigot, 
narrow-minded and arrogant. The increasingly popular view that people hold to today is called religious pluralism. Religious pluralism. And this idea, and, and to be honest with you, I was shocked to see how many people who profess to be Christians actually hold to a religious pluralist view. This idea that all roads lead to God, that we are all climbing the same mountain simply from different sides, or that the road to heaven is paved with good intentions, irrespective of the truth behind the thing that you are holding to. Or some say that salvation is through the Christ concept or through the, um, the golden rule of all religions. This idea that every religion has this sort of Christ concept, this moral teacher, this, this um, man or, or this, this prophet that is greater and we all need to aspire to reach that, that goal. Or the golden rule that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And God can be pleased and can be attained through this golden rule. And the Catholic Church um, actually is playing a massive role in this religious pluralist um, view. The Pope said not too long ago, speaking to Jews and to Muslims, okay, this is what the Pope said. We too, in the name of God, in order to safeguard peace, need to enter together as one family into an ark which can sail the stormy seas of the world the ark of fraternity fraternity that's brotherhood so the pope says that islam speaking to, he's speaking to these muslims and jews say that we must all get together and climb into this ark of fraternity that is a scary thought and just read up a bit about how religions are coming together and um, saying we must pray together, we must serve together, we all serve the same God, we're just approaching God um, from a different side. Um, but as we'll see in scripture, this is not the case. Now I believe this increasing push towards inclusivity, um, this putting our differences aside and doing it for the sake of peace, I think this push for this inclusivity is part of the preparation of the one world religion. I'd like to read to you in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's on the screen there. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. It says that, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice, wise unto salvation, the scriptures. Okay, so... And then it says, by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's an exclusive way through which salvation is obtained. Then it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished um, unto all good works. Then he goes into chapter 4 and he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. So we're talking about a future time now. After he spoke about this salvation through Jesus Christ, he says, preach the word. 
be instant in season, out of season. Reproof, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The truth is Jesus. The truth is the gospel. The truth is the word of God. They will be turned away from that and be because they have itching ears and they shall be turned to fables. These fables can include things like all roads lead to God. We are climbing the same mountain from a different side. The road to God is paved by good intentions. All of the, these are fables. These are not true. So I read in an article um, in the Compelling Truth newsletter, it says, Some wonder if this one world religion is already exists today. The specific one world religion of the end times cannot be fully developed until the tribulation when the Antichrist rules. However, the growth in religious pluralism, interfaith dialogue that promotes the idea that all religions are equal and the erroneous teachings that many ways lead to God or to heaven all exist today. These views certainly foreshadow what scripture predicts will be more prevalent in the future when the world unites under one religion under the power of the Antichrist. So this pluralism, this say, this, this inclusivity of all religions is something that forms part of the Antichrist's, can I say, um, agenda for the end times. So it is with this in mind that I want to review what the Bible teaches regarding the subject and the position Bible-believing Christians should take amidst this attack on the gospel. Because this is what it is. It is an attack on the gospel. If you say all roads lead to God, why does the gospel need to be preached? Choose your own way. So this is a very strong attack on the gospel, on the person of Christ and on Christianity. So let's review what we should, what position Christians should take when it comes to this matter. And may the Lord help us um, cover everything that we have here today. So the exclusivity of Jesus, understandably, is not a popular topic in today's culture. In fact, many reject Christianity solely on the basis of its exclusive claims. Fortunately, Paul and the early church as a whole actually, dealt with a very similar problem and they left us an example of how to deal with this today. So today we will look at how Paul dealt with this issue while he was in Athens in Acts chapter 17. So you can open to Acts chapter 17 and we will have a look what happened here. So I hope that through today's lesson, um, this revising, can I almost say, and this truth of Scripture will embolden us to speak this truth um, and reestablish it in a culture where um, inclusivity is preached and um, exclusivity is rejected. Now, 
let's read from Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. But before we before we read that, I just want to remind you, Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Thessalonica um, and he was persecuted and he was chased out of the town. After that, he went to Berea. There he preached the gospel. And while he was in Berea, the people from Thessalonica, the people who were persecuting him, chased him to Berea and chased him out of Berea. And so he fled to Athens. So now he's been chased out of Thessalonica. He's chased out of Berea. He's been preaching the gospel. He comes to Athens and he preached. And we read here where he comes to Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Where therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with devout persons and in the market daily with them that met him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Aeropagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else um, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Marsyos and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, oh sorry, you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven um, and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he need, needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of all men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that he, that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device and the times of this ignorance um, and the times of this ignorance God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness um, sorry may judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained um, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, We will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed um, from among them. Howbeit certain men clave to him and believed, among which was Dionysius, um, 
Areopagate and a woman called Damaris and others with him. So we covered a lot of things now, but essentially what I want to with, or what can I say, extract from this is three main thoughts. It is the context, the content, and the consequence of this message that Paul preached. The context, the content, and the consequence of this message that Paul preached. So if we start in the context, we will see that Paul's crowd that he was preaching to was um, very similar to what we described earlier. They were in in um, verse 17, we read about, uh, or verse 16, we read about idolatry. In verse 17, we read about the Jews. In verse 18, we read about Epicureans and Stoics. Um, in verse 23, we read about um, this unknown God whom they ignorantly serve. So Paul found himself amidst a group of people who had very differing um, religious backgrounds or religious thinking. And um, like I said, he just got chased out of Berea and Thessalonica for preaching Christ to peoples of different faith. And now these people come to him and they say, tell us more. Tell us more about this Jesus. Now, the temptation for Paul would have definitely been, um, especially to avoid um, anyone chasing him or offending anyone. Again, his temptation would have been to accept these other religions as somehow legitimate, um, that they had, um, that they were also a leg legitimate path to be made righteous before God. So don't bring up the topic of exclusivity and ultimate truth is the temptation that Paul would have had. Knowing the rejection that might come from preaching the truth, he preached the truth boldly again. And so we'll look at what he preached in the content of this message. But this sets the standard for us. Like Paul, we also find ourselves in a culture that rejects the exclusivity of the gospel and embraces inclusivity. But notice something about this inclusivity. They were okay with Paul bringing a new doctrine. That's what they say. We see that in verse 19, this new doctrine whereof thou speakest. And they were okay with the strange things that Paul was bringing, this, these strange ideas that he was bringing. In fact, they even wanted to hear more about it. They, say, they said, come, tell us more about what these things mean. But the moment Paul addressed the exclusivity of the gospel, we see that in verse um, 30 and 31, that God repents everyone to repent and that Christ, this man, is the only way to righteousness. That is when they mocked. That is when we see, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. So, and they stopped listening. So, it is fine for the world if Jesus is just another good and moral teacher, or just another interesting thought to add to your religious philosophies. But as soon as it is preached exclusively, it is bigotry, 
and it should be rejected. The world doesn't have a problem with including Jesus, as long as Jesus is seen as one of the options. The irony is that this world, that the world's inclusive view of religions excludes, excludes those who hold to exclusivity. So, in a, in, a, in, a, in a weird way, they are guilty of what they accuse us of doing. They are excluding those who hold an exclusive view, and therefore they are guilty of that very same thing. So, Paul, we see, found himself in a similar context to which we find ourselves today. Yet he continued to preach what he knew to be true. He embraced the idea that the gospel is scandalous and that there is no way of getting around it. He embraced it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. Now, this word stumbling block comes from the Greek word scandal, basically. It's to scandal. So, the gospel is scandalous. It's an offense to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. They say, they mocked him. What strange thing is this? It's foolishness to preach the exclusivity. Yet, Paul preached it anyway. John MacArthur said that if the truth offends, let it offend. People have been living their whole lives in offense to God. Let them be offended for a while. Let them be offended for a while. Now, let me just clarify. Paul was not being offensive. He was preaching an offensive message. Right. You don't get upset with the mailman when he brings you your bulls. <laughs> He's bringing the bulls. He's not the one responsible for the bulls or the fine or the whatever. And so same, the same way we as Christians, we should not be offensive in the way we bring the gospel, in the way we address the exclusivity of Christ. But the message itself will be exclusive and will be a stumbling block and foolishness and scandalous. Now, let's have a look at this content. So we've looked at the context. Let's look at the content. The first thing I want to look at is the idea that the truth, the message, this, this message that Paul is preaching, this, the content of it is exclusive. Truth is exclusive. In verse 23, he speaks about this unknown God. And so essentially, he is addressing the fact that God is not unknowable as you think. He's already contradicting their ideas of God, of um, religion, of all these things. So he says, this unknowable God is knowable. He is, in verse 24, he is omnipresent and not confined to a temple. In verse 25, he is omnipotent and does not need man to worship him. He does not need man to um, let God be in existence. 
that is one religious view. I can't remember what it's called. Something with a P. Paley, um, Paley. No, I can't remember. It's essentially that God is in everything. God is everything. That does. That means God needs us to be in existence. So Paul excludes that idea. Verse 26, he is, God is omniscient and purposefully involved in mankind. We see that God is purposely involved in mankind. In verse 27 to 28, God is not this impersonal, deistic type of God, but a personal, theistic God. God did not just put everything in motion and then step aside and not care about us. God is personally involved. He cares. Verse 29, God is immaterial. Verse 30, he calls all people to repent. Verse 31, he has made Jesus the only way. And also in verse 31, he will judge the world. Now, these are just the things that Paul claimed in this short passage in Acts chapter 17. And these are some definitive claims um, and stands in stark opposition to the common belief that all religions are true and they just approach God differently. So Paul is already excluding a lot of ideas by stating what the Bible truth is. And... Um, he objects to this common idea. Let me put it up for you. Yeah, um, that essentially people have this idea about religion or about how all roads lead to God. I've put up four here. There are obviously a lot more religions and all of them will have differing points. But just to illustrate the point, we have Buddhism, Christianity, Islam and Hinduism. Buddhism says there is no God. Hinduism says there are many gods. Islam says there's one God. Christianity says there is one God in three persons, a trinity. These views of God contradict one another. So they can't all be included in this circle of truth. Yet that's what the world teaches. Let's look at what the, these different religions teach about salvation. Buddhism says salvation comes through enlightenment. Hinduism says through reincarnation, improving, doing good and coming back better, better, better. Islam says you hold the five pillars. Christianity says it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When it comes to how this uh, one of these religions um, view other religions. So Buddhism views that Buddhism is the true way. Hinduism says there are many ways. Islam says it is the only way. Christianity says Jesus is the only way. So you, you see how they contradict one another consistently. So how can we say that all these things are true at the same time? They differ on God. They differ on salvation. They differ on um, whether other religions are true. They, they're contradicting one another. They can't all be true. It doesn't logically make sense for all religions to be true. Their fundamental claims need to be the same. Two ideas cannot contradict one another and remain true at the same time. You can't say 
There is no God. There are multiple gods. There is one God and there is a Trinitarian God. And all these statements are true at the same time. It just logically is not coherent. I think it makes more sense to illustrate truth and other religions as follows. Let me show you. This to me, I think is what we're looking at and what actually Paul is addressing. Truth is central. Truth is truth. You have all these other religions and notice that all these other religions have elements of truth in them. Paul acknowledged this by quoting one of the Greek poets. In verse 28 of Acts chapter 17, we read that, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So he quotes something of their religion to say, look, this is true. So all religions have elements of truth, but they are not. That doesn't make them true in its entirety. Um, the whole religion true. This mixing of truth and a lie is exactly, however, what we should expect from Satan. In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 to 15, it says, And marvel, um, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So we shouldn't marvel that these other religions, if um, produced by Satan, should have elements of truth in them. John chapter 8, verse 34 to 35. Why do you not understand my speech, says Jesus, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. See, he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Because he told them the truth, they believed him not. So you see, truth, or other religions do have elements of truth, but it is not true in its entirety. Now, what is this, can I say, truth? Truth is central and all religions have elements of truth in them because this is the way Satan deceives. This is the way Satan tried to or tempted Jesus is by giving truth. Same with Adam and Eve. He gave them truth, but it's mixed with a lie. And so all these religions have that. Now, in that diagram, I showed you just truth as the center and all these religions surrounding it. But what is the truth? In order to understand this, we need to look at what Paul's presupposition was, what Paul assumed to be true. Um, and what Paul assumed to be true is this. So if you believe like Paul, that the Bible is inspired by God and is his ultimate revelation of truth to mankind, these verses should make it quite clear what truth is and why Paul preached it so exclusively. In John chapter 1 verse 14, 
and the world was and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth the word was full of grace and truth this word which dwelt among us is jesus in um, john chapter 1 verse 17 for the law was given by moses but grace and truth came by jesus christ jesus saith i am the way the truth and the life and no man cometh to the father but by me john 17 17 sanctify them by thy truth thy word is truth if so ephesians 4 verse 21 if so be that ye have heard him and have been and have been taught by him as the truth is in jesus colossians 1 verse 5 for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof you've heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel second thessalonians 2 verse 9 and 10 even him whose coming is after the working of satan speaking about the antichrist with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of the unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved truth is required for salvation and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved who will have first oh, timothy 2 4 who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth um, let me show you this and it continues so that is about truth and so truth is jesus truth is the word and truth is the gospel and regarding the exclusivity of jesus the bible also has a lot to say about this in john chapter 4 verse 16 to 18 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish believeth in him jesus but have everlasting life for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world that's everyone through him might be saved he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The only begotten Son of God. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Romans 10 verse 1 to 4, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Paul wants the Jews to be saved, but Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible is clear when it comes to the exclusivity of Jesus. It is clear when it speaks about who the truth is. It is not vague. And Paul knew this. So if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you have to conclude the following. Truth is exclusive, and the Bible defines truth as Jesus, the Word, and the Gospel. And the Bible also confirms that truth is required for salvation. Hence, the Gospel has to be preached. 
the gospel has to be preached. And this leads us to our last point. Our last point is the consequence. Oh, sorry. Uh, there, the consequence. So we covered this idea of truth. What is truth? And other religions having this these elements of truth in them. But truth excludes all the ideas that are non-true. So that's why those red X's were there, to exclude these ideas that were not included in the circle of truth. Now, if that is what the Bible teaches, and as a Bible-believing Christian, that is what you believe. Now, if that is what you believe, what is the consequence of this? What is the consequence of holding to this truth? And I want to speak about the consequence for the lost and the consequence for the Christian. So let's deal with the consequence for the lost. Now, all people who do not believe in Christ as Lord and Savior are lost. That's the first consequence. All people who do not believe in Christ as Lord and Savior are lost. They will be found guilty in the day of judgment. The, another consequence of this is that they are lost irrespective of their sincerity. Sincerity does not alter truth. They are lost irrespective of their sincerity. Sincerity does not alter truth. You see, I may sincerely believe that the sun revolves around the earth. But that doesn't alter the truth that the earth revolves around the sun. All that makes me is sincerely wrong. I am sincerely wrong in my position. Truth is not altered by sincerity. Another thing that is a consequence for the lust, if this exclusivity of Christ is true, is that having some truth does not mean it is the truth. Having some truth in whatever position you hold does not mean your position is the truth just because it has some truth. And as we saw, without truth, it is impossible to be saved. Think about what we read in Romans 10. Romans 10 verse 1 to 4. We read that together. The Jews, Paul says, I have a desire that they will be saved. Okay. But the Jews believed in God. That is one thing that they had right. The Jews also had a zeal for God. That's another thing that they had right. They also had a law, which is another thing that was true and right. And they even believed in the historical Jesus. The Jews believed in the historical Jesus because they were living among him. So but they believed in the historical Jesus. They believed in God. They had the law and they had a zeal for God. All those things they had. They had elements of truth. But Paul says, my desire is that they be saved. Having some truth does not save you. You need the truth. You need the gospel. Because as it says in Romans 1 verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the consequence of the exclusivity of Jesus for the unbeliever is that he or she must repent. Look at Acts chapter 17 verse 30. It says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. So there was a time before Christ where God 
took the exclusivity less seriously. But now, it says, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What is all men? All men, everyone, all people, everywhere, irrespective of geography, everywhere to repent. So the consequence of the exclusivity of Jesus to the unbeliever is that he or she must repent and that righteousness can only be found in believing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Paul says in verse 31. He speaks about the resurrection of Jesus and that righteousness will only be found in him and God will judge according to that righteousness. And that's why in verse 32, they mocked him because of preaching the resurrection of Jesus. So you may say, surely this only applies to people who reject the gospel. Only people who reject the gospel will be lost. But not those who have never heard it. How can, how can those who have never heard it be lost if they, re, if they couldn't have rejected the gospel? To this I say, biblically, even those who have never heard are lost. There is no back door to heaven. There is no other way. This sounds harsh, even to Christian ears. Imagine what it sounds like to people who do not have the Bible, who are not saved, who don't have that mind of Christ working in them. This must sound absolutely shocking it must i can understand why they would think it to be bigotry narrow-minded arrogant non-inclusive all of those things so when you speak to someone who is lost and you are speaking about christ and the exclusivity of the gospel keep that in mind so that you treat them with patience so that you treat them in love that you speak the truth but you do that in love and in patience because you too were blinded in your unregenerate state now that is the consequence for the lost now let's have a look at the consequence for the christian the first consequence for the christian should be praise god I am saved. Praise God, I am saved. That should be the first consequence for the Christian. Praise God that someone preached the gospel to me. Praise God, I find myself in this country where the gospel can be preached. Praise God for family, for whatever it is that drew you to Christ. Praise God for that. That is the first consequence because it is grace. It is not something we deserve. Second thing that should happen, the second consequence for believing the exclusivity of Christ is that you need to ask the question, what about those who have never heard? What about those who have never heard? This is a very important question and every Christian should be able to answer it. If you hold to the exclusivity of Christ, it means you exclude all people who do not hold to that. And it means you believe that they are lost and on their way to hell. 
So if you believe that, you have to ask the question in your heart, but what about those who haven't heard the gospel? Now, we don't have time, and this is not the topic of this lesson or sermon, but I want to point out three things to you because it's such an important question to answer, and this topic does bring up this issue. So, I want to point out three things that are critical when answering the question of what about those who have never heard? Firstly, creation, law, and conscience play a part in someone's salvation or in their drawing, but they, it can't save them. Have a look at Romans uh, chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, um, verse 16, Romans 1 verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For, there, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay, now it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This holding is a suppression. So they have truth, but they suppress this truth by their unrighteousness. Then it says, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So God has showed something of his righteousness to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Creation being understood by the things that are made us even his eternal power and God it so that they are without excuse. So the first thing I want you to notice is God has revealed. People have suppressed. He's revealed through creation. And he's in, and through his creation, he has shown his power. He has shown his righteousness. He has shown all these things about himself through creation. But they suppress that through their unrighteousness. And then at the end of verse 20, it says that they are without excuse. So creation, law, conscience play a part and the part they play is to make you without excuse, is to bring you, can I say, this revelation is enough to damn you, not to save you. And so people who have never heard have enough revelation through creation and what that means to damn them, but not to save them. And in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, we read about conscience. Read about this conscience. Read with me in verse 12. It says, For many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So whether you have the law, as in Old Testament, or whether you don't, you will be judged. You will perish without the law or you'll be judged by the law. Either way. It says, for the hearers of the law, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not a law are law unto themselves. So there's something inside of them, and we'll see this now. This conscience, which show the work, verse 15, um, of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else 
excusing one another. Verse 16, in the day when, the God, when, when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. These people will be judged according to, well, there's the secrets of men, will be judged according to the gospel. Whether you have law or no law, your conscience is enough to stir in you this understanding of sin, that there is right and wrong and that I sometimes do wrong. And so this is enough to damn. So this revelation is enough to, to, to damn, but not to save. So creation and conscience brings a knowledge of God's power, his existence and our sin. It is our sin that brings us under the wrath of God. But it is our unbelief that keeps us under the wrath of God. Sin brings us under the wrath. Unbelief keeps us under the wrath. And that is why belief in Christ is of utmost importance to be saved. That's the first thing. So creation, law and conscience play a part, but they cannot save a lot of people say that if if you if you have creation and conscience and you do your best with that you'll be saved not according to the bible now secondly and this is also very important is that those who seek will find we actually saw this in acts chapter 17 in acts chapter 17 let's go back there um, in acts 17 have a look here verse 26, it says, uh, verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of all men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appoint, appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. So, irrespective of where they are, God placed people where they are for a reason. Their bounds, their times, when they are born, where they are born, God has done that. Verse 26, and hath made, uh, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Seek him, you may find him. He is not far from every one of us, regardless of where you are or when you're born. Okay? And there were some who were seeking when Paul was preaching this message because. Verse 34 tells us that certain men clave to him and believed. So some people were saved because they were seeking, even though they had never heard this before. And this is, like I say, irrespective of geography or culture. God has set the bounds and the times. And those who seek may find, for he is not far from any one of us. Think of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, think of um, the whole book of Acts, actually. Um, think of church history. Think of missionaries. Think of Fricki and Frickelina and the people who have been saved through their ministry. If they are seeking people, God sends missionaries. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, But without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. In other words, you believe he is. He exists through creation conscience. There is a God and he is righteous and he is powerful and he will judge. You believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. He rewards them who seek him. Jeremiah 29 verse 13, I'll just read it to you. It says, and he shall and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. If you will search for me with all your heart. And so there are people who are seeking and God sends people to go to those seeking people. That is that truth is as true as the truth that Jesus is the exclusive way. The truth that God sends or rewards people who diligently seek him. And the last thing that we need to know that's very important when we answer this question of what about those who have never heard? We need to remember that God remains just. No one will be unjustly punished. No one. No one will point the finger at God and say, you are unfair. No one will do that. Romans 3 verse 19 says that all mouths will be stopped and they will become guilty before God. God is not unjust and no one will point the finger at him. You know, sometimes we can create hypothetical scenarios where we conclude that if God does this and that or doesn't do this or that, then he would be unfair. So we go and we philosophize and we say, all right, if God put a person on an island that in a culture where they've never heard about Jesus and that person dies, he goes to hell, then God would be unfair. Well, first of all, who even says that that hypothetical exists? Okay. An honest seeking person through creation and revelation who seeks God in a culture that does not have a history of Christianity and then dies and goes to hell. Who says that hypothetical exists? It's a hypothetical. God may send to those honest seekers. All right, that's the first thing. Secondly, there is a difference between not knowing how something can be just and whether something is just. There's a difference between us not knowing how something can be just and it being just. God is just irrespective of whether we completely always understand how and that we need to always hold on to to God's character that God has made promises that God will reward those who diligently seek him and that he has set the bounds and that he is near to every one of them and that we have proof in history that God sends people to these people who are seeking we need to hold on to that truth and not point the finger at God for a hypothetical scenario which we do not fully understand. 
All right, the last thing, the very last thing that I want to look at when it comes to the consequence for the Christian. So this was the second consequence for the Christian. And that is that the Christian, if you hold to the exclusive view of Christ, you have to ask, what about those who haven't heard? The last thing I want to look at is, or the last consequence is that missions is a must. Missions is a must. If all roads lead to God... It destroys the drive behind missions, behind church planting, behind creating literature, behind translating the Bible into new languages. It removes that drive completely because, well, there are many ways. Choose your way. Change your way. Do this, be that. It doesn't matter as long as you sincerely do it. It takes away all of that. But if you hold to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and the gospel, it makes sense why Jesus gave a great commission. It makes sense why people were willing to die for Jesus. It makes sense of the missions orientation of the early church. It makes sense of why Paul preached in Athens after he was chased out of two cities right before that. So the question we need to ask ourselves, are we playing our part in missions? A.W. Tozer said that a missionary is an evangelist who has gone abroad. An evangelist is a missionary who is preaching at home. I like that. An evangelist is a missionary who is preaching at home. We are all missionaries. Let us as Bible-believing Christians, take up the commission that Jesus gave us. For if we don't, no one will. And believe me, the group who is taking the message of the gospel, wherever they go, to work, to church, to school, to wherever, those people are growing fewer and fewer. Even if they are professing Christians, because Christianity isn't being indoctrinated by this religious plural, plural, you know what I want to say. All right. Now, one last C, which I didn't give you in the beginning, and that's the conclusion. The conclusion of this truth is that culture seeks inclusivity at the expense of truth. We as Christians should not fall prey to the inclusivity lie of culture. It is a doctrine from Satan to suppress the preaching of the gospel truth. Listen to that. This inclusivity, this lie, is a lie from Satan to suppress the preaching of the gospel truth. Like we just said, it suppresses that drive to be a mission oriented person. Secondly, as we conclude, the Bible preaches exclusivity of Jesus at the expense of inclusivity. See, it, it flips it on its head. Culture seeks inclusivity at the expense of truth. The Bible preaches exclusivity of Jesus at the expense of inclusivity. So like Paul, we are to preach this exclusivity of Jesus irrespective of our culture's itching ears for a message of inclusivity. 
This will not be a popular message, as it excludes all non-truth. But it is the only message that saves. Also, if you are lost, keep seeking, for God is not far. Irrespective of your geographical location, God is not far, and he rewards those who seek him. If you are saved, preach the word. Be confident in Christ's exclusivity, as Paul boldly preached. And that is how God, this preaching is how God chose to reach those who are seeking. So there are people seeking, and God chose the foolishness of preaching to save those which are lost. So do your part. Um, be the missionary that God has called you to be. And don't be ashamed of the gospel. Preach the exclusivity. Don't do it arrogantly. Do it compassionately. Do it patiently. But preach it. For that is the only way in which people can be saved. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for this message, Lord. Um, it's been so refreshing to me. It's been so convicting. And so... Um, can I say, it clears the air, Lord. You know, sometimes we go through life and we hear these thoughts and we see these people and we see a good atheist and we see um, an honest Muslim and we see all these things, Lord. And sometimes you think, maybe, just maybe they're okay. But Lord, thank you for refreshing our hearts. Thank you for renewing our minds. and Thank you for your word that speaks so clearly on this subject. Lord, help us to, to reach people who are seeking. Lead us, Lord. Use us, Lord, to reach those who are lost. Lord, and help us to grow in our burden um, to share the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for entrusting us with this message. Lord, thank you for giving us the Great Commission. And Lord, may we preach the exclusivity, irrespective of our context, Lord, as Paul did to a world that is in need of a saviour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you everyone for um, joining this morning. Um, it really has been a privilege and um, I pray you have a wonderful afternoon. And I also um, look forward to seeing you all tonight. Um, please remember six o'clock, Francho will be bringing us a message tonight. All right. You.